0: So I'll give you a heads up that the message this morning is really taken from the very end of the chapter uh, uh, versus the end of verse 16 and 17 and 18. That's the text. But the whole chapter is important in a sense because it provides a context. And the context is always important in understanding the Word of God. So here then, as the author James, the brother of our Lord As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Our gracious God, as we have read of your holy word, as you have provided through James, the brother of our Lord, we are grateful and we do ask, O oh Lord, that by your spirit's work we might hear your word and receive it implanted, that we might live godly lives that are pleasing in your sight and that we might be men and women and boys and girls of prayer. We might devote ourselves to the obedience of faith. We pray for your blessing this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I can read that clock and sometimes I can't. As we uh, take a look at our text this morning, it has been one of my favorite texts since I first uh, began to read and study the scriptures as a young teenager. Uh, I love the way James kind of brings down his whole book to this summary and says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Or if you remember the New International Version of 84, Elijah was a man like us. And basically the NIV, I think, gets it right. There's some discussion about the description of the nature like ours. But what I'm amazed at and think about is that James would even begin to compare the average believer, and certainly myself, if I read it personally, to a giant like Elijah. And you may wonder how great a giant Elijah was. There's not a great deal of Scripture actually devoted to Scripture, but, or devoted to Elijah. But there's enough for you to get a full picture of the greatness of this man. But, of course, the exclamation upon Elijah's life is really made when the Lord in his transfiguration, that he might appear in his glory to his disciples. There was Moses... And there was Elijah in that radiant, glorious moment when the Lord was transfigured and uh, his glory shone forth. How great a man was Elijah. Elijah was indeed a great man, but he was a man. And he was a man like you and me. And from that, then, James exhorts us concerning the life of prayer. And that's where we want to begin The first thing that we see from our text that James would press upon us is a simple command. Pray. Pray. Now, you can see that in the larger text of James. And I want to unpack that a bit by way of a summary. But I don't want you to miss it. Pray. It's a command and a word that James puts before us so that we might learn by faith to trust in God and to look to him as a supplicant, as it were, one who asks, one who seeks, one who looks longingly and trustingly to the giver of all good things. And so we don't want to bypass that. Indeed. What James says here is amazing to us as we read it. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, I want to think about this a little bit. I had the privilege of being present at the birth of my children, and many fathers here have that privilege. We have a little bit different vantage point. The mother, in most cases, lying on her back, and the father witnessing the appearance of their long-awaited child, and one of the first things that we do as men is cry out, breathe, breathe. We're looking for that first breath to be taken, that first sound of a cry, breathe. And there is that sense in which, for us as believers, and those of you who have been present, when someone has who has come to put their hope in the Lord, know. What is the prayer that is on the mind of the evangelist, the one who is seeking the salvation. Pray, pray, seek the Lord. He will forgive all who seek him and put their trust in him. Prayer is at the heart of what it means to be a believer. It is the difference between the callous heart that says I live life on my terms and my way and the believer who says i live dependent upon my sovereign gracious and merciful god at every moment and i live a life of faith not only for myself but for the community of god's people so the context then of james and perhaps you've studied it i don't i don't really know how Recently, uh, Dennis may have preached on this, or you've had a Sunday school class on it, but let's simply summarize the book of James as uh, uh, capsulized in this phrase, that James seeks to present to us what it means to live the life of faith. Now, James is a wisdom writer. He's immersed in the wisdom of Scripture, and in some sense, it's very much like the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been studying. There are these rather disjointed elements set side by side in order to get you to ponder and to think through the message of his book. And you should have noticed that as we read through chapter 5 itself. But indeed, it's not disjointed. There is a whole, and James actually is quite organized in his presentation of the truth that he desires to present to us and so as we read this exhortation about prayer and then see that he comes attached with this great promise that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective we take to heart the whole of the message and you should recall that James is where we meet that pressing exhortation at the very beginning count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing he hasn't come to the end of his epistle and changed his mind he understands that there is a depth to the way that we process our trials, our afflictions, our burdens, the things that we may have brought with us this morning that are deeply troubling to us. Wonderful thing about CVPC, we learn of many prayer requests and are able to bear up one another's burdens. But we do know, we know not the half of the burdens that people bear day by day. We know not the half of it. And yet, we are reminded by James that part of the process of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer is that the work of God might be manifested as we patiently wait out God's purposes in the midst of our trials and afflictions. We cannot speed the reformation of our life. We cannot uh, make put into the fast lane. The process of sanctification there is a necessary interplay between the desires for deliverance and the reality that we need the disciplines of the Lord we need his hand at work in us to bring trials and afflictions for our sanctification and this context is incredibly important to us even in the immediate part of James chapter 5. Notice, for instance, and by the way, let me just uh, uh, give reference to whom it's due. Alec Mortier in his commentary is exceedingly helpful, not only in James, but Isaiah and the other books. It's a name you ought to remember when it comes to commentaries. Uh, He is excellent in his work, and I draw upon a good bit of his exposition even here. For instance, he says, James introduces us in these verses, uh, beginning in verse 13, to prayer in terms of the praying individual Christian, the praying elders, the praying friends, and then the praying prophet. And uh, we're not going to spend time digging into the individual Christian, the elders, or the praying friends. You probably would like for me to state my... uh, Thoughts on those texts, but that's not my purpose. My purpose is to focus upon the praying prophet, Elijah. And so we want then to come to this task and to this matter, recognizing that in looking at Elijah, James is seeking to substantiate his premise that in prayer, God works in manifold and powerful ways. So that he says to us, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that? James wants you to believe that. Now, I always get in trouble when I uh, write too much as we think then about the matter of prayer in and of itself, before uh, addressing the matter of Elijah, prayer is, knowing, is, prayer is a tool of God's design that effectively accomplishes his holy purposes. That's the premise here. That the purpose of prayer is to accomplish God's designs. And Elijah is going to show us that but recognize that it is a tool. And here, uh, very powerfully, Isaiah in the 10th chapter references the significance of tools, and we need to be mindful of tools and how they function and how they work. In Isaiah uh, 10, 15, the prophet writes, Shall the axe boast over him who hews with it? Or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it. As if a rod should wield him who lifts it. Or a staff should lift him who is not wood. In other words, there's a tool that God uses. And the tool is never in a position to boast over the one who uses it. It is always the one who uses it that is to be the glory. To be the recipient of our praise and when it comes to prayer we need to understand that our prayers are tools in our creator's hands and they are designed to accomplish his ends his purposes and be for his glory so often we hear the phrase uh, that uh, people uh, boast of prayer how many people have prayed for them and so forth And we need to be very careful. There's some justification for that in Scripture in the sense that uh, Scripture often uh, reminds us, as James does here, that prayer is powerful and effective. But keep in mind, James is not suggesting that prayer does anything other than what a sovereign, powerful, and mighty God does through that tool. And God forever is to be praised for all the answers to prayer that you have known in your own life. Well, let's turn now specifically to the prophet of Elijah, as James does in our present text. Not only was he a man like us or with a nature like ours, but James points to the fact that he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth then he prayed again the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit now if you're familiar with the story of Elijah you know that you can turn to first kings 17 if you're not familiar with it you want to turn there elijah's rise comes during the reign of ahab and ahab is the most wicked of kings in the northern kingdom of israel Ahab exasperated his own wickedness by marrying Jezebel who exceeded him in wickedness. And Elijah was the prophet that the Lord raised up during Ahab's reign and he's really introduced to us here in uh, chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand there shall be neither do." Nor rain the three years or these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now James actually fills in some of the details that uh, the author of Kings does not provide. Tells us how long that was, three and a half years and uh, so forth. But what's noteworthy here is that Elijah is said to have prayed, and God responded to his prayer. Now, our version says prayed earnestly. Uh, Mortier suggests in his commentary that he prayed a prayer. In other words, there's a repetition of the word prayer in the original Greek, and that's often taken as a way to emphasize. But the point being that Elijah prayed that it would not rain. Now there are a couple notable things there, aren't there, as we think about such a prayer. One, the text tells us that he simply rebuked Ahab and said to Ahab that it would not rain until he commanded it to rain. And James tells us that he prayed that it would not rain. All prayer doesn't look alike, does it? Sometimes prayer is on our knees, fervently bent before the Lord, as Elijah did when he prayed that it would rain. Sometimes it's a word lifted up to the Lord in a moment with an earnestness and a zeal for God's faithful fullness and faithful promise. Elijah prayed that it would not rain. That's the second thing. How many of you uh, pray for negative things? Lord, stay the hand of that wicked person. Or perhaps this week you were praying about the uh, debt ceiling. Anybody praying about the debt ceiling? I confess, I thought about it, and I was conflicted. In my heart of hearts, I think we borrowed enough money. But in my other heart of hearts, Lord, protect that little nest egg I have, because if our economy goes flat... I'm in trouble. So I wrestled about that. I have a feeling Elijah wouldn't have wrestled about it. One minute. He would have prayed what needed to be prayed. And he would have sought the honor and glory of God. What was happening here? The northern kingdom, from the beginning of Jeroboam's reign, when the kingdom was split from the hand of Rehoboam, began to worship Baal. Baal was the god of the Canaanites. It means, as a term, Lord. And basically, the Israelites adopted the name for Lord of the Canaanites and began to pray to Baal because Baal was the god, we would say, of the economy. But he was really the god of the agricultural world of that time. And the agricultural world was the economy of the northern Kingdom. And they pursued a worship of Baal so that Baal would bring prosperity to the northern kingdom. And they pursued it without any reservation or check. So when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal in the midst of the drought that had come by his command, people were suffering. We know they were suffering because Elijah suffered. You remember how the Lord commanded him to go to the, the brook Cherith because there he would have water and he would have meat brought to him. But not everybody in Israel had that. The people suffered during the years of drought. Not only the people of Israel, but the Gentiles suffered as well. So that they're the widow of Zarephath. What a, what a uh, heart-engaging story. Elijah's told to go to this widow and to ask for provision from uh, this widow of Zarephath. And and she says, well, uh, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. There is nothing left, and Elijah wants it. And he pursues that. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now the point of that is, here is a drought. Elijah himself uh, finds the brook drying up, has to seek refuge elsewhere. He goes to the widow of Zarephath. She has nothing. She is expecting to die. Hardship came upon the people of Israel because the prophet prayed. Dennis, as you know, preached as the uh, uh, Psalm of uh, Psalm 137. What's the term I'm looking for? Imprecatory. Is that what you said? Yes. Prayed that imprecatory prayers against the enemies of Israel. Here Elisha prays that the heavens would be closed until the people of God turned away from Baal and their wickedness. Is there an application here for us? Well, the first application is we tend to look at prayer as not thy will, but my will be done. Lord, you brought this hardship on somebody. They're suffering. I'm sympathetic. My heart is broken for them. Please, lift the burden, relieve the stress, deliver them from the pressure. That tends to be the way that we approach the prayer requests that we are put before us, aren't they? Because with empathy, we see and know the hurt and suffering that men experience. James knew that well. Elijah knew that well. But God had greater purposes. And all of the needs of his people came within that greater need that the nation would repent of its sin and wickedness and turn to the Lord and acknowledge that Baal was not Lord, not even a God, but that the Lord God alone is God. Now here's what I would press upon you. Not that you pray uh, prayers to hurt or maim or injure or uh, bring ruin or disaster upon anyone but to think thoughtfully about our prayers. What is God doing is the question. And you may say, well, I don't don't know what he's doing, but I wish he wouldn't do it that way. I would press that the example of Elijah reminds us that we need to be deeper people spiritually. We, We need to think Thoughtfully about what we're actually asking. How many times, when the consequences of a person's foolishness or rejection of God's will and and clearly enunciated teaching in the scriptures has brought ruin and hardship on their life, like the prodigal son, how would you have prayed for the prodigal son? Would you have asked, Lord, he's hungry. Look at him. He's eating the junk left over. Deliver him, we would probably have prayed. And yet, in that story, we see how important it was that he came to his wits end. That he was humbled totally. That he felt the fullness of his foolishness. And more importantly, saw the amazing person of his father in the perspective that he needed to see it. Now, every need is not the same, and we need to be careful. But how often where we need to begin is with this simple prayer. Lord, I don't know what you are doing. Give me wisdom to see your work in this trial and in this affliction. We ought to seek God's wisdom for ourselves and for others. Lord enable them to see your hand in what is terrible what is horrific what is trying may they look to you and recognize that you are the one who is doing it and who is working. So Elijah prayed and he was powerfully answered when the rains dried up. But then we have the whole uh, account of Mount Carmel when uh, it was time for the rains to return and for the earth to begin to uh, produce fruit once again. And how wonderful the story of Mount Carmel is as uh, the prophet calls upon the prophets of Baal to assemble and to be prepared to offer a sacrifice unto Baal. And he himself would offer a sacrifice unto the Lord God. And we know the story from our childhood, don't we? And the children here know it. What an amazing account it really was. And, and you and I wish we had a front row seat to see it. Because the character of Elijah just really comes out in this. The prophets of Baal begin to pray and intercede that the fire would fall from heaven to Uh, consume the sacrifice that they had offered, and, of course, nothing comes. You'd think in a drought it would be so dry that the least spark would have ignited that uh, fire, but nothing, nothing comes, and Elijah taunts them. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's just not paying attention. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, You know, it's that kind of uh, language that Elijah uses to just taunt the prophets of Baal. And then uh, when nothing happens, he he sets up the altar of the Lord. And he inundates it with water. Not just once, but again. And again, so there can be no question. Now that's an interesting fact in and of itself. Where did they get the water to do that? But they found it so that they could make the point that God alone was God in heaven and on earth. And then the Lord sends the fire, consumes the whole altar in doing it because of the prayer of Elijah when he called upon the Lord. And that prayer in and of itself is a wonderful prayer to uh, see there in the account of uh, Elijah's life. But let me uh, turn quickly then to the way that Elijah draws this all together after the fire has consumed and the people confess the Lord alone is God, never, now uh, Elijah announces that it will rain. And he goes to pray and to seek the Lord. And uh, there, as he uh, bends himself to the ground and uh, seeks, he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees and he sent his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And the rains came and Ahab got soaked and Elijah outran him and uh, and and made it because uh, made it to shelter because of the Lord, and the strength of this uh, mighty prophet. There we see the earnestness of Elijah in his prayers as he prayed until the Lord answered his prayer seven times. Again, what an example for us in our prayer life that we would turn to the Lord according to the will of the Lord and according to the purposes of the Lord and seek to do his holy will. Now, just in drawing this together, I want to do it in this way. Uh, I was reminded before the service, uh, Pastor Ken, and I thank him for it, it, reminded me of the timing that needs to be applied in understanding the book of James, that James wrote immediately after the uh, presence of the Lord as he walked among men and then ascended into heaven. And I think that is an apt point here. How are we to pray? Should we pray in precatory prayers upon this generation? There are times when we do pray according to the will of God, when we pray for God to manifest his justice, to subdue the wicked, to bring righteousness to beautiful flower, even in our own day. Yes, there are times when the Spirit of God within us teaches us to pray with such earnestness that God would manifest the fullness of his just character. James is not beyond that, as we've seen. But let me urge you, as we think about how to pray according to the will of God, these Uh, basic uh, precepts begin first of all in your prayers by owning your inability to know the will of God apart from the knowledge of his word and his wisdom if the book of James teaches us anything is that we need wisdom from on high we need God's wisdom we need God's word and to pray the will of God To pray in Jesus' name is to seek that which Jesus sought and which the scriptures reveal to us in his holy word. Sometimes we need to step back and repent of our prayers. We simply have not sought the will of God, and we need to own it. Then, ask for help in prayer, that you might pray well. We are going to have a day of prayer. We need to be preparing for the day of prayer by asking God to pour out upon us a spirit of prayer and supplication. That it would be a day for his glory, for his honor, and that our prayers would come with all sincerity and truth, for the glory of God. And when you pray, begin there. Lord, teach us to pray. And then, thirdly, take to heart how Jesus did teach his disciples to pray. It is the best place to start. And in our catechism and confession, that is indeed where they start on the subject of prayer. In the larger catechism, for example, the question is asked, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And in the shorter catechism we're reminded at the end of the Uh, catechism question 107 if I find it in my notes Uh, that all prayer as we pray for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever is to be offered unto God for his glory and for his sake that his will might be accomplished and so it is that we would do well to ask for help in prayer and then pray according to the revelation of God in the scriptures. And to this end, then, does not James instruct us very pointedly at the end of his epistle? And here, let me just urge you to see that this is not a hodgepodge of wisdom sayings. Notice how he ends it here. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What in the world? Where did that come from? What was Elijah doing? He was seeking out the people of northern Israel with the truth that the God of Jacob and of Abraham is the only living God. He was seeking a people for the Lord because he had a zeal and a passion for the salvation of the northern kingdom. And James rightly recognizes and states for you, what do you think my epistle is about? What do you think I've written these five chapters for? but that you might have wisdom from on high and walk according to the faith that you profess and the gospel you own. And what about the one who walks away from it? Woe unto the one who turns from the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the profession of his faith. What is their end? It is nothing but ruin and damnation. Therefore, as you pray the prayers that availeth much, pray for the salvation of the brethren, and particularly for those who are turning away from the faith. Earnestly seek their salvation and give yourself to calling them back to sincere and holy faith. How wonderful is the promise that James attaches there that uh, whoever brings a sinner back uh, from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He's not referring to the person who does the deed. He's referring to the sinner who repents. A multitude of sins when one returns to the Lord. What an exhortation if we're to wrestle with God, that we would wrestle by faith, that we would own the seriousness of prayer, take to heart the word of God in prayer, plead the promises of God in prayer, and understand the weighty duty of prayer. It is fine to pray for healing. James makes that clear. But let us ask, before we speed our way to the re leaf of suffering, what is it that the Lord is doing that our prayers might be powerful and effective unto his ends and his designs? Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of the Lord that comes to us. Even that word that is uh, encouraging that we are able to be instruments in your hand for your holy ends and designs, but also the challenge that we would pray according to your word and according to your will. Grant, O oh Lord, that we might buy, abide by the teaching of James and the holy scriptures as we seek your face, even yet as we worship you and pray unto your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.